today on Ag News Daily. In 1985, I didn't get to vote, and I am finding that a large majority of my peers in this cattle industry did not get to vote either. In fact, we've turned over almost two generations of cattle producers. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell, who had quite the day today. You give us gave a speech today, Delaney. Remind me where it was. Yep, it was just here in Des Moines, but it was nice to get out there and actually be in person for once. It was to a group of women from the U.S. Custom Harvesters Association. So a lot of these women are on the road traveling from, you know, anywhere from February, March, April, all the way until summer and into the fall, going with crews of guys and gals who are harvesting various commodities on behalf of farmers. So a lot of these women are taking care of kids on the road. They're helping with the farming side of things, you know, helping with hauling and equipment. And it's just a crazy lifestyle they live. It was really neat to talk to a lot of these ladies and hear about what they're doing on the road. That is very interesting. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, it was It was just really neat to hear some of their stories. Um, and it, it, I think we've talked a little bit about custom harvesting. It seems like we've had a guest on in the past, Ashton, that you, you maybe lined up for us. But just a fascinating facet of agriculture we don't talk much about. We really don't. And I I agree. I think it's very interesting. There was a classmate of mine who did a project over the harvest tour. And it's very just incredibly interesting because there's people that come internationally to do a harvest tour. And one Mm -hmm. of my friends, his family, when he was growing up, they did the harvest tour. And he tells me stories all the time about, you know, traveling with them over the summers and and that kind of stuff. And it's it's just a, a crazy life. It is. It is indeed. But thankfully, somebody does it because otherwise there'd be a lot of crops that don't get harvested and a lot of commodities that would be struggling right now if we didn't have folks like that out there. Absolutely, Delaney. But I'm going to kick things off here talking about some news for today. I don't have too much to share, but for folks that are looking for more information about crop insurance A 2021 version of a crop insurance decision tool created by the University of Illinois FarmDoc team has now been released. The tool is a downloadable Microsoft Excel workbook that includes farmer paid premiums for different federally regulated policies administered through the USDA's Risk Management Agency. The tool calculates premiums, evaluates insurance payments, and provides historical data useful for making crop insurance decisions for a variety of crops. Users can narrow their scenarios by county and crop to see premiums for individual farm level plans, including revenue protection, the harvest price exclusion and yield protection, as well as the supplemental coverage option and the new enhanced coverage option. So folks, if you're looking to kind of compare and all of that fun stuff when it comes to crop insurance, I say fun stuff. I don't know that you would really say that crop insurance is super fun, but you can do so at the FarmDoc Farm Doc website. It's just farmdoc.illinois.edu slash crop dash insurance. Well, kind of along the same lines, this isn't really an insurance program, but a little bit of an update here on the next round of CFAP payments coming from this administration. Uh, it's been released now, and we know that there will be 
increased amounts provided under this new CFAP round for farmers who grow and raise livestock for other entities. So we're talking contract growers. So mostly this is going to help out the poultry and hog industry, but we are seeing some moves being made so those producers can receive a little more payment as well. More specifically, we're seeing a bump in about about $16 of a top-up payment, basically, which will be added to folks who are hog producers. They'll get added to their payment that they receive through the next round of CFAP payments. Um, and it, again, we don't really know yet what this new administration is going to do with these type of payments and programs. But at least for now, we know CFAP, whatever round we're on, two, three, four, uh, I'm losing track at this point, but I think we're on three. Uh, we'll have some increased payments and payment limits for folks raising on behalf of other entities. You know, Delaney, I'm sure you're not alone in losing track of that because there has been a good amount of government relief, but we are on CFAP three. So I'll, I'll add Okay, that. perfect. <laughs> I'll, I'll start tallying them up so we can keep track. At this point, and there's too many, there's so many acronyms, Ashton. I'm going to go on a soapbox here for a second. Every time we have a new government program, it feels like they put this acronym together. Like we had MFP payments, you know, a few years ago. Now we've got CFAP payments. We've got ARC payments. We've got PLC payments when it comes to insurance, USDA, EPA. I can't keep track of them all. I can't either. And, you know, I've been saying CFAP so much. My dad, he uses a CPAP machine when he sleeps. And so when we talk about it, <laughs> I want to say CFAP. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's a CPAP machine. So I just, like you said, so many different acronyms for so many different things. My brain is just going crazy. Yeah, so is mine. But, uh, you know, switching tracks a little bit here. One thing we do know the Biden administration is going to do is push through or try to push through some sort of new immigration reform bill. Even before he took office the other day or just yesterday, gosh, it feels like forever ago, um, the Biden team released a proposal of what he planned for an immigration reform bill after taking office. So again, this has to go through Congress. It's not a done deal. But basically his proposal is focused on getting some illegal immigrants on the path to finding legal citizenship, more specifically for about 11 million undocumented workers, including about a million of those as farm workers. So this bill really is to legalize and modernize our immigration system, according to his team. But they are understanding of the fact that, especially in agriculture, we have a lot of labor shortage issues and a lot of folks, even the people I was talking to today at the U.S. Custom Harvest Association said that they have to rely on a lot of immigrant labor, you know, whether it's folks coming from Central and South America. They said they've got folks that come from South Africa sometimes. And so it appears that there will be again, continued debate this year, this administration going on with immigration. Yeah, Delaney, after President Biden was sworn into office yesterday, he took to Twitter talking about a variety of things that he's going to set as top priorities in the first 100 days. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what comes of that because he's been pretty active already. But switching gears here a little bit, talking about the response to the EPA's last minute granting of three small refinery waivers. A federal appeals court has granted the emergency motion filed by the RFA in response to those 
grant to the granting of those waivers. The RFA says the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. District has ordered EPA's actions on Tuesday to be, quote, administered. I cannot say this word, administratively stayed, excuse me, until further court order. The action prevents the EPA from processing the small refinery exemptions it approved late Tuesday of two waiver petitions for 2019 and one for 2018. The RFA says if allowed to stand, those waivers would erase another 260 million gallons of RFS blending requirements. The RFA says EPA must be stopped from returning compliance credits to the unidentified refiners to avert any more harm to the ethanol industry. Yeah, Ashton, I'm glad that you brought this up. It's a little confusing, so let's just clear this up here uh, for anybody that's having a hard time following. And we are working, or I should say you are working, to get us on either a Renewable Fuels Association representative or somebody from Growth Energy or somebody else in the biofuels realm that can talk about this a little bit more in depth and probably we can do it justice. But you're right. A federal court has ordered the EPA basically to hold off. So we saw the Trump administration at the final hour push try to push this through. Now it appears we're kind of in a stalemate. To be honest, this is a question I hope we can get answered from a biofuel representative, I don't know what the next steps are because we're also seeing, of course, at the same time, a transitioning administration. So uh, President Biden is going to obviously select a different EPA administrator. So I guess the question in my mind is, do we see this court ordering hold until we see a new EPA administrator? Do we see the EPA having the authority without you know, power at the top ahead, a representative, do they, do they have the power to go ahead and grant these without having some sort of administrator overseeing the entire agency? I don't really know. Yeah, Delaney, I think a lot is up in the air at the moment, not even just, you know, with the EPA and these small refinery waivers, but hopefully we can get those questions answered, you know, if not tomorrow, next week sometime, but definitely something to keep our eyes out on. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, pause here. Did you talk yesterday about the Tyson Foods uh, settlement? Yes, I did. Okay, perfect. I could not remember, and I just wanted to make sure. Okay, I picked it up then. Well, Ashton, I guess uh, a lot of my news today has been uh, related to the transitioning administration, but we've also seen moves already from both the EU and Brazil reaching out to President Biden and his team, trying to repair trade relationships already. Brazil, more specifically, trying to reach out to the administration to set up some sort of ethanol trade pact. Uh, As we've continued to see the two countries, our two countries spat back and forth about that. And we've also seen the EU reach out, as I mentioned there, to talk about a continued EU-US trade relationship moving forward. And, you know, under President Trump, we know that ag was a big part of that, those talks, but really we saw trade talks between the two countries kind of cool off after we saw tariffs on steel and aluminum placed a while back. So it appears now that other countries are looking to the United States. They're sniffing around, they're waiting and ready for new trade deals to be enacted. Well, Delaney, uh, like I said earlier, I didn't have very much news today. So if you're ready to get into the markets, I am as well. 
I certainly am Ashton. And we had a little bit better day today in the commodity markets. We saw things gap open higher, uh, but we quickly retreated from those gains that we made early in the session to close just slightly higher on the day. Kicking things off here in the March quarter contract up two and a quarter cent to close at 524. The May up two and a quarter as well to close at 526 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, the March contract up just three quarters of a cent to close at 1370. The May up a penny and a half to close at 1368. In the wheat pits, pulling back today as the May Chicago contract shed seven cents to close at 660 and three quarters. The May down five and a quarter to close at 662 and a quarter. And in livestock, green across the screen as the February live cattle contract added 75 cents to close at 114.10. The April up $1.07 to close at 119.95. And in feeder cattle, March added $1.62 today to close at 139.15. The April up $1.25 to close at 141.87. Lean hogs had a little bit of mixed trade today as the February contract shed 32.5 cents to close at 68.10. The April up 82.5 to close at 73.90. And rounding out our day with the class three dairy milk futures, a down day again as the February contract shed off another 71 cents to close at 16.42. The March down 42 to close at 17.36. Ashton, without further ado, let's listen on who we're talking to for today's interview. Today, we are talking to Karina Jones of RCAF. Today on the podcast, we have Karina Jones, who is a fifth generation rancher from Nebraska, and she's also the Chekhov Petition Campaign Director for RCAF, and we'll get more into what that's all about here in a moment, but Karina, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So Karina, why don't you tell us just a little bit more about yourself and how you really got into working with RCAF and what your position entails? Well, um, being a, a cattle rancher myself, um, you know, I've seen the struggles that we've been going through in our industry for a couple of decades, the highs and lows. And I think that my husband and I for so long thought we could chase the genetics, we could chase the the inputs and, you know, squeeze everything down so that the cash flow could work. But as we have went evolved further and further in our operation, we've also realized that there's a lot of outside forces that affect our cash flow. And I was probably going to need to start helping address some of those in the industry um, to, to make our operation successful and others included. And so I took a real interest in um, the cool petition that was launched last spring and was a part of that. And then when it came to this checkoff petition, this checkoff petition is not an RCAF project. It was not launched by RCAF. It was actually uh, launched by a group of industry um you know, cattle producers and the South Dakota Livestock Marketing Association was incredibly instrumental in its launch this summer. And then um, RCAF came on board because it completely aligned with checkoff reform policy that they already have. And then that was when I was kind of hired this fall to help um, organize a national campaign effort to help educate producers about the checkoff and enhance um you know, the coverage from coast to coast of this campaign. Gotcha. Well, the petition certainly sounds interesting. I've been doing a little bit of research 
But why don't you tell us a little bit more about who is eligible to sign this campaign? Those that are eligible to sign the petition are any cattle producers, regardless of age, who have owned, sold, or purchased cattle from July 2nd, 2020 to July 1st, 2021. So that includes um, cattle producers that are younger than 18 years of age, our 4-H kids and FFA kids who sell a steer at the fair, or perhaps junior breed association kids. They just must have a parent or guardian co-sign. Um, and the eligibility can all be found at, at www.checkoffvote.com. And you can sign the petition there, or you can also print a hard copy, and the eligibility is spelled out there also. So, Karina, first, I'm, I'm going to apologize because I called it, you know, how can people sign the campaign, but it, it's actually a petition. So my apologies there. But picking back up on, you know, the petition itself, I think that a lot of people are typically weary of signing petitions. I know that I'm a person that is that way because I'm not exactly sure, you know, what it all means in the grand scheme of things. Um, not this petition specifically, but for those who might be a little bit weary, why don't you give us a little bit of direction on why they should sign this petition? Give us your elevator speech, I suppose. Okay. It's been 35 years since the Beef Checkoff Program um, had a national referendum, a vote per se. And so in 1985, I didn't get to vote. And I am finding that a large majority of my peers in this cattle industry did not get to vote either. In fact, we've turned over almost two generations of cattle producers that have not gotten to vote on a Beef Checkoff referendum. So we are beyond time for our current producers to get a chance to vote and voice their, um, you know, uh, their, their support or opposition of the beef checkoff. In the 35 years since the beef checkoff program was conceived, we have seen a divergence of the beef industry and the cattle industry. And so we're no longer selling the same commodities. You know, me being a, a cattle producer and an investor in the beef checkoff, the beef checkoff promotes, um, you know, the, the sales and research of beef. And that's not the co commodity that I sell. And so that seems to be a common um you know, a common concern for cattle producers now that are forced to pay the beef checkoff is what do I get back? Because we just don't see our return on our investment anymore. You guys are kind of working with the, the USDA in a way because it's, you know, approved by the USDA. But are you guys working with them any closer than that? When, from my understanding, when the petition was conceived, um, there were a group of individuals that, you know, worked with the USDA to make sure our language was tight and all of that. So, yes, the USDA is absolutely aware that this petition is circulating. And but beyond that, we're during the petition phase. There's really no other um there's really no other association that's taking place with the USDA. Only once the petitions are delivered to the USDA, we have until July 1st, 2021 to collect signatures. And then the signatures will be turned over to the USDA for them to give, um, you know, the, to either grant or deny a referendum. Gotcha. And what success have you guys seen thus far with the petition? 
Well, we're actually finding greater success with the hard copy petitions. I know collecting signatures here at my local, um, you know, cattle events, rodeos, sale barns here in Nebraska. I can assure you that I have a 99% signage rate for every hundred petition signatures that I collect. I only have one or two producers who decline. And some of those are really genuine individuals who just want to do some more research about the petition and the beef checkoff. And that is that is a genuine thing to express. And, and, I, um, and I encourage them to do so. Once again, we have until July 1st, 2021 to collect signatures. And, you know, speaking to a lot of my other cattle producer volunteers who are actively out getting signatures, they report back to me with that same success rate. Um, I had a, a, a gal talk to me that um, collected signatures at a sale barn last week in North Platte, Nebraska. She said 100% of the producers who she presented the petition to signed. And so, you know, that's, that's what we're seeing. There's absolute support for this petition, for a referendum, and our industry's going to make that clear. So Karina, for those who have signed the petition or plan on signing the petition and want to do more, how can they do so and show their support? That's a great question. I get calls pretty frequently from sale barns and um, definitely from sale barns saying, can you have a volunteer come and help in our lobby collect petitions? And I would love to be able to to fulfill all of those requests for volunteers. Some sale barns just have the petition sitting there and guys and, and women can sign when they um, grab their checks. But I think that our best success rate is definitely when we have a live producer volunteer there to talk to the other producers, we definitely get a lot better signage rate. And so if helping your neighbors sign or helping at your local sale barn is something that you could um, donate a day or two here and there to do, give me a call. My number is 308-760-3466. I would love to help make that happen in your area. Or you can email me at Karina Jones, K-A-R-I-N-A Jones at r-calfusa.com. And Karina, I just have one more thing before I let you go. And if this, if you know, you get the certain amount of signatures that you're you're wanting, and if you present it to the USDA come July, what might be the next step? Well, the next step is definitely in the USDA's hands, whether they grant or deny the referendum. The referendum would have to be for an up or down yes or no vote, because that is the way that you know Congress enacted the act and order of the Beef Promotion Act. So um, that would be the next step would then be would then be getting the vote. And we don't have a timeline for that. That is all in the USDA's hands. Gotcha. Well, Karina, it's been great talking to you about this petition. And I'm very excited to see what our audience thinks and what more cattle producers think about it as well. But why don't you, you know, drop one more time where our audience can get a hold of you and where they can go online to view the petition. To view the petition, to sign it, to print it off so you can take it around to your cattle producing neighbors for them to sign. You can go to www.checkoffvote.com 
All the information's on there. We've got facts and, and figures. We've got videos of other cattle producers who are, t- you know, talking about the petition and why this is needed. We've got advertisements on there. We've got a media center on there with graphics that you can take to your local newspaper. Um, we've got radio PSA ads on there. We've tried to provide our producers everything they need to help um, empower and enhance this campaign in their areas. So you find a lot of information at checkoffvote.com, including my information. You can call me Karina Jones at 308-760-3466 or email me at Karina Jones, K-A-R-I-N-A-J-O-N-E-S at r-calfusa.com. Well, Karina, thanks again so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Thanks again there to Karina for coming on the podcast and talking to us about the checkoff petition campaign. It's definitely something that I think that cattle producers out there should take a look into. So folks, if you didn't get enough information from that interview, be sure to go onto the website that Karina listed off there and see if signing the petition is something that you would like to do. Absolutely. And I will add that this was sent in to us from a listener. They requested specifically we dive more into this topic. Folks, we listen, we hear you. We do take those things into consideration as we're lining up future content and interviews for the Agnew Daily Podcast. So if you have suggestions of guests or topics that you'd like to have us do a deeper dive into, feel free to reach out to us at Agnew Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.